just be satisfied fully in his in the desires of his flesh, he's not going to acknowledge and turn back to God. He just won't do it. And so God sends upon man or on us pains and sorrows, hedges of thorns and walls so we cannot get um, to our path. We can't find our path to our idols, to our lovers, or our, I want to call them God replacers. You know, you hear that? Every idol we have is a God replacement. So if you have an idol, it's something that's, that's trying to replace God in your life. And so if that idol is allowed to just give full satisfaction to your heart, you won't have this acknowledgement and this turning back. And so God, He loves you and He sends a thorn and a head, you know, hedge of thorns and walls and He keeps you from your lovers that would replace Him. He does that, and, and you can't, if something blocks you, you're, you get mad. Why is that blocking me? It's in my way. Move it out of the way, right? If it keeps you from what you want, it doesn't make you happy. It gets you angry. So that's why I, I, I think we really need to understand we have to see by faith that these great obstructions are God's hand for us not against us. You hear that? The obstructions that you're facing in your life that are keeping you from your desires and your delights is God's hand for you, not his hand against you. Can you say amen to that? It is God keeping us from what would lead us away from him. And if it leads us away from God, then given to its full consummation would lead us into hell. And God forbid that. We are His people. I love the the verse for the kids this morning. It has a big long verse and they're supposed to memorize that. Good luck to them. But at the bottom of it says, God cares for His people. (laughs) I think I could give that. And that's what I want. God cares for his people. We're his people. And so he must, because of his covenant of grace through Christ with us, he must keep us faithful to the end of this race. You say amen. I mean, if you're on the Olympic track of life that God has put you on, he says, you're mine. You don't have to be Usain Bolt. <laughs> you know, you are, you, you are the king's child. You are the king's son or daughter. And he is the one who keeps you faithful to the end of this race. And he brings us home to heaven to be with him forever. So he, God, even at his own anguish, even If it sorrows him, if it grieves his heart, he will do whatever it costs to keep us his. God checks us. He checks us even if that means he has to wreck us. Through this letter of Hosea and all of the Old Testament, and even in the New Testament, 
you can see and observe a great struggle, the struggle between the divine love and the perverse human will. You see it. You see it throughout Scripture. The struggle of divine love versus the perverse human will. It's just always at odds. Divine love, human perverse will, just always against, you know the verse, the, the spirit and the flesh are always against each other. You see it throughout the whole Bible, especially here in Hosea. You see it. So God imposes restraints and, and barriers in the way of sin to make sin difficult and even painful. God loves you. He uses toil. Anybody, raise your hand if you toil. If you toil in your work or your, your, your household or your friendships, toil. God uses toil even to restrain us, to use it as a bit and bridle for restraint to the wayward and the vicious. You know, you even, I'm just talking about God using restraint. He uses toil. God uses prosperity. I mean, you see a wave of prosperity come over somebody. But you know what it leaves behind? It leaves behind in it the rubbish and foam of licentiousness. You see pain as a restraint. Oh, even though there's so much pleasure in sin. There is. There's pleasure in sin, otherwise you would not commit it. But it's not real. It's not enduring. But there it is. There it is, and we're attracted to it. The sinner is attracted to it. The forbidden tree was what? Quote, unquote, pleasant to the eyes. Right? That's, that's what sin is. It's attractive to the eyes, but the penalty of sin has its bitter consequences, therefore restrains us. God uses pain to restrain us, and that's the consequence of sin. It's like you eat the forbidden fruit and delight in it, but God brings pain at the consequences, bitter taste, and says, Oh, I don't want to taste that again. It restrains you. And I... I covered that a couple weeks ago, really talking about thorns and, and walls. And I just wanted to kind of clarify a little bit of that. But God not only checks us and wrecks us, He draws us. He draws us. He woos us. He woos us. Mary, Mary my wife Mary, she's still mad at me because 23 years ago I wooed her. I wooed her into marrying me. She fell for the wooing. God allures you. He woos you. He attracts you. He persuades you. You see, the enticement of sin was good. It was a delight and pleasant to the eyes. God says, yeah, mom, better than that. He puts himself in front of you and allures you and attracts you and says, come in and entices you. It's not, not bad when God does it. He's the best thing for us. And so he allures us and he brings us into the wilderness and he speaks kindly to us. Like we saw a couple weeks ago, 
God knows what works on us. Doesn't he? We saw a couple weeks ago that God knows what works on us. And he's not above using what works. Remember, if, even if it was self-preservation, God will take away things from you or put walls and hedges. And you say, oh man, I don't like it here anymore. It was better for me with my husband. I'm going back to him. God doesn't care if it's because of self-preservation. He's like, I'll bring you back to me. And so we saw that. He's not above using what works. And so God allures us. God, God made us. You think about God making you. Anyone in here emotional? <laughs> Does anyone have emotions? <laughs> yeah, every one of us have emotions, right? God made you that way. God made you with emotions. God made you with desires. God made you with motives. He made you with affections. And you know, God knows because He made you. He knows the, the secret power of the will. God knows the secret power of the will. And He holds the key that opens the chamber lock of every single soul in this room and across the world. And it's love. It's God's love. His love is the key to unlock every single soul in the world. His love is the key and it overcomes not just the enemy. Love overcomes the enemy, but love overcomes the enmity of our nature, of our will. Remember? Before you were saved, you were at enmity with God. You were hostile to God. And he said, you're my friend. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to die for us. That's God saying, my love overcomes the enmity of your nature and your will. His love will not and cannot be slain by any other weapon. His love wins. Can you say amen? His love wins every time. He entices us. He, he allures us with his love. He brings us out into the wilderness. What do you think the where do you think you are that he would take you out into the wilderness? You're in the world. And so God wants to take you out of the world into solitude. So it's just him and you. Just you and him. God does that. I mean, can you come ahead and God grabs you by the hand and walks you out of the world into the wilderness of solitude. So it's just him and you. You and him. Just one-on-one, -on -one, just you and God. Because in a crowd, in a crowd, you're just one of many echoes. But alone with God, you see you're so much more. You're so much more than just an echo in the crowd. And when you're alone, that solitude with God, you experience His presence. You experience the presence of God. And you know what you do? You discover you. You're alone with God, 
and you experience the presence of God and you experience and discover you. That's scary. It's, it, it's a scary time. You discover yourself and you are in the presence of holiness and so you see yourself. It's no more comparing yourself to John and Mike and Ben and Larry and Mary and Hillary and Trump. It's, it's no longer comparing you to everyone else. Look at me, Lord, ain't I good? It's, you're in His holiness and you get to experience His presence and you discover yourself you see yourself for how God wants you to see yourself. And what's so glorious about that is at that time you see your need of the Savior. Hallelujah. You discover yourself and your need of the Savior. Let me, let me read to you um, from E.B. Pusey, God's presence in loneliness. He says, from the first dawning of conversion to the hour of death. It is in solitude mostly that God speaks to the soul. Here God spoke by His prophet to a nation which like ourselves had in its prosperity multiplied its idols and made gold and silver into gods to worship and had been unfaithful to its God and abused God's gifts. Of such God says, I will allure her. He vouchsafes to speak to us after the manner of men. He will give us, he saith, love for love. He speaks as we may best bear to hear and is fittest for us. Blessed are those holy hours in which the soul retires from the world to be alone with God. God's voice as himself is everywhere. God's voice as himself is everywhere. Only the din of the world or the tumult, the tumult of our own hearts deafens our inward ear to hear it. Do you understand that? Us being in the world, our tumult, tumult of our hearts, our desires and delights for other things than God, it deafens us to hear it. Chiefly in the inmost soul, God speaks because there he dwells. To be alone is to feel the presence of God. In love or in displeasure, as a friend or a stranger, until the soul will open its whole self to God, it shrinks from inward and outward loneliness. We must be alone in the hour of death. Let us learn to be alone with God now. It is only afar off that the wilderness looks a waste and terrible and dry until in silence you enter into that sacred loneliness. You know not whither you're going. In loneliness a man knows himself and his God. Enter thou with him and by his grace you will not come forth as you went in. Hallelujah. God grabs you by the hand. He takes you into the wilderness. He speaks kindly to you. You, 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 you experience the presence of God. You discover yourself, your need for the Savior. And just hear this cherished Sin alone deafens your voice to God. It deafens your voice. 
It deafens your ear to the voice of God. And so God removes us from the crowd. Isn't that? That's good. If you think, okay, the world keeps me from hearing God. My sin keeps me from hearing God. God's like, I want you to hear me. So I want to take you out into the wilderness. I'm going to remove this, the sin. I'm going to pull you out of the world. And I'm going to talk to you. God speaks kindly to you. God speaks to you, not just to your intellect, but God speaks to your heart. Look again at Hosea 2.14. It says, I will allure. I will bring her into the wilderness. And the next verse is literally, I will speak upon her heart. God will speak upon your heart, not your intellect. He pulls you out there, allures you and brings you into the wilderness and solitude. He speaks to your heart, but your heart would not otherwise bear to hear what the Lord says had he not allured you out with love and brought you out into the wilderness alone and prepared you to hear his words that reach the depths of your heart. Oh, what are these words that reach the depths of your heart? Forgiveness. <laughs> Mercy. Grace. Words of consolation. Words of hope. Words of mercy. These are God's words for the utter hopelessness and worthlessness that waywardness and rebellion overcomes you with. Walking in sin in the world. And God comes and grabs you by the hand and says, come on out of there. Come into the wilderness with me. He removes all the idols out of your heart. And he gives you these words that reach the depths of your heart. The only words you can imagine to hear. You don't hear, what are you doing, son? I told you not to do that again and again and again. He doesn't talk to you like that. He brings you out and says, I forgive you. I have mercy for you. I have love for you. I have hope for you. These are words of consolation. Words that bury hopelessness. Words that bury worthlessness. These are words of love. Oh, I forgot to tell you the title of the message. Alert by the Lord is the title. He allures you by his love. These are words of love that reach the depths of your heart and your soul. And they are invitations for every soul from God to come to him. Let me read Gracious Dealings of God. I'm not sure who this is from. Let me read this. This is how he deals with us, the church, looking at Hosea and applying it for today. 
He lures them by the most gracious invitations to turn to him with penance and prayer. God is love. And amongst the many proofs of this are the gracious invitations by which he allures his rebellious creatures to seek his face. (laughs) Wherever you are, turn to me and I will forgive you. Amen. To these invitations, the Lord adds the most encouraging assurances to all who will seek his mercy, forgiveness of their sins, and acceptance, acceptance with him. But the Lord does more than this. He not only gently raises the desire of his favor, but he powerfully strengthens and confirms it. He brings her into the wilderness. The Lord brings his believing people into the wilderness of conviction of sin. We need that. So he brings us in the wilderness of conviction of sin. There's no acknowledgement, there's no return without being brought into the wilderness of the conviction of sin. So we got to see it, we got to experience the presence of God, discover ourselves, and that's what God does. He brings us into the wilderness of conviction of sin and godly repentance. Watch this, conviction leads to consolation, repentance prepares the newborn soul for the reception of the Savior. It says, no language can describe the comfort which springs in the heart of the convinced and contrite sinner from the assurance that the door of mercy is not yet closed against him. And that there is a fountain open for sin and for uncleanness. You guys know 1 John 1, 9. Amen? If I confess my sin, he's faithful and just to wash me, cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Here it is. And who led you to 1 John 1, 9? He did. He grabbed you by the hand and said, come here, son. Come here, daughter. Let me show you. Pull you out of the world. Experience my holiness and my presence. You're like, whoa, I discovered myself. Oh, I'm enjoying the solitude with God. Oh, conviction of sin. Oh, I don't like that. But then it, what does it do? It prepares you to receive and be washed and cleansed by the Savior, then indeed you have reason for blessing God in that he has brought you into the wilderness. He blessed him because he did it. Otherwise you would say, what are you taking me out in the wilderness for? I hate it out there. I get to see myself in my sin and I don't like to go out there. God's like, I want you to see it because I have words of love to wash you with, to forgive you with, to bring mercy upon you, to bring you acceptance with me through my son, Jesus Christ. So God, what I'm trying to tell you is God allures us by his L-O-V-E. Do you know what that spells? You know I like acronyms. We might have it up there, I don't know. L-O-V-E, I'm just trying to tell you that God allures you L-O-V-E. L, God is love. I know that it's kind of an off acronym. <laughs> Judge me all you want. <laughs> I'm out in the wilderness. God's going to wash me and cleanse me. O, God's love overcomes any sin. You don't have, you don't have to justify anything. You don't have to get your life together and get it right and put things together and then come. No, God's love overcomes any sin. V, God's love assures victory in Jesus' blood. Amen? 
is all assured. Victory is assured. You can't lose. You get the gold medal. Hallelujah, right? You go. E, God's love gives eternity. So if you want to write down your bulletin, L-O-V-E, God is love. God's love overcomes any sin. V, God's love assures victory. And E, God's love gives you eternity. This is free grace. This is, this is scandalous grace. Isn't that what Phil Wickham sings? Scandalous grace? This is scandalous grace. Because it's all a picture of Israel through the harlot Goma, right? That's what it's about. God's like, Israel is like a harlot running around with other men and I'm her husband. And God's like, I'm going to allure you. God brings the harlot back. His wife He's like, I bring you back with love. I allure you with forgiveness, with mercy. If we read the whole text, you see that in verse 15, God says, I will give her vineyards from there. That's in the wilderness. Wilderness becomes vineyards. And the valley of Acre is the door of hope. The door of trouble becomes the door of hope. She will again sing like she sang when she was delivered from Egypt. He ever read Moses' song when they were delivered out of Egypt? I haven't. I'm still trying to read it. He's like four pages long or something. I don't know. Right? He, they sing when they were delivered and Israel will no longer call God. You're a harsh taskmaster, God. No, they'll say, you're my husband. They will call him husband. I don't know. God's making it super clear to me that when you're his, you're his. Can you say amen to that? God's making it super clear. When you're his, you're his. I mean, you go off with his gifts, and with his blessings, committing harlotry against him. So he hedges you up with thorns. He puts up walls, eventually making what was pleasant for you about sin so painful and so difficult, you then acknowledge it like, oh, this is terrible. And then you return. You acknowledge, I've wandered away. And then you return back to him. Not because you thought it was nice. Even though you hear Gomer say it was better than than now. The whole thing is, who did that to her? Who did that to Israel? God did. God made it feel terrible. He made you with desires, motives, and delights, and all those things, and he crushed everything you were enjoying, made it actually painful. So you would say, it's not good here for me. It was better then than now. I'm going back. He loves you so much. He doesn't want you to go away. You've heard Jesus say he leaves the 99 to go get the one that's straight away. They didn't show the rest of the picture. I think the shepherd goes over there and puts like hedges of thorns in a big old block wall. <laughs> <laughs> and the staff, where are you going, sheep? Get on back. He doesn't want you to stray away. He comes after you and gets you and brings you back because it's better that way with him. What I'm saying is, it, it's not, it, it, when you're his, you're his. He allures you. 
He allures you alone with him so you can hear his wonderful voice saying, I love you. I forgive you. He turns your barrenness into vineyards. He turns the burned, the burned heap of Achan's memory of punishment. Remember he took that idol and he buried it in his tent and he lied to God about it. And so God burned his, him and his whole family into a heap. And that was to be remembered as the, what is it? The Valley of Acre. God's like, that right there, that memory is not that anymore for you. It will now be a door of hope, giving forgiveness to the unforgivable, giving worth to the worthless, bringing beauty to the meager. He brings back songs of deliverance, no longer a slave to sin and shame. He makes you forget the idols that have replaced him. That's so good. All those idols that you're running around collecting and they were causing you to die in them instead of God. God's like, I'm going to make you, you're going to forget them. He makes you forget them so that you don't even mention them by their names again because you can't even remember them. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe if we could see ourselves like Israel. So full of idols and sin and God replacers in our heart. And then God taking you and, and by the hand and alluring you with his love of forgiveness and mercy. Taking you out of the world into the wilderness and, and just saying, I, I forgive you. I love you. If we could, if we could get there and, and, and know how awkward that would be. Isn't that awkward? To, to be, have that sin in your heart and then be in the presence of holiness, you're like, that's awkward. It would be awkward, right? You know, you know what I'm talking about, husbands, when you sin against your wives and you try to come home act like it's all good. Hey, baby. And she's like, she don't forget a thing. And you're like, so how was your day? She doesn't forget. It's awkward, right? There's that. Imagine, it's just this forgiveness, there's mercy. Imagine that awkwardness right there. Go ahead and feel it. Go ahead and feel it. Feel that awkwardness. And now, what I'm saying, God makes you feel right at home. In that moment, you're home. (laughs) You're home. You know when you're awkward, you don't feel at home. You're home. You're safe. There's peace because there's forgiveness. There's reconciliation. And God says, welcome home, my beloved wife. You will not be afraid. And you will not be put to shame. Never humiliated. Never disgraced. In fact, he will cause you to forget the shame of your youth. He will wine and dine you like you never left his side even for a moment. Let's read that. Let's read what I'm saying. Isaiah 54, verse 4 through 8. God says, Fear not, for you will not be put to shame. Do not feel humiliated, for you will not be disgraced. But you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood 
you will remember no more. For your husband is your maker, whose name is the Lord of hosts, and your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel, who is called the God of all the earth. For the Lord has called you, like a wife forsaken and grieved in spirit, even like a wife of one's youth when she's rejected, says your God, for a brief moment I forsook you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In an outburst of anger I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting loving kindness I will have compassion on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. That's so good. If God has checked you or even wrecked you, (laughs) it's so he can allure you and draw you, so he can love you and save you forever. God allures your heart to himself when it has found no rest for the soul of its foot on the waters of this troubled world. He bids it return to its true rest In his wounded side. That's what he does. When you're his, you're his. And he says, your rest is right here in my wounded side. For you, my son died. Your rest, your true rest is in his side. So whoever you are, wherever you've gone, no matter for how long or how far, our God and Father loves you and he's opening the heavens wide and pouring out his spirit on us. He's alluring you with his love saying, come home to life, my beloved wife. He's alluring you with L-O-V-E. Do you remember the acronym? This is a different one. He's alluring you with his L-O-V-E, the lamb that offered himself to die in your place to open the veil, which is his torn flesh, that you might have eternal life as a free gift of grace. To God be the glory. Will you come home? Will you come home to uncomfortable grace? Remember I asked you to say hi to each other and I'm so blessed you're here. It's really, really awkward. And Imagine being received with the purest love from that person. We're, we're wretched humans and full of sin and, and weird things in our hearts and our minds. We're always planning and stri- you know, we struggle with our own thoughts. We, we're so even deceived by our own hearts. You give someone a hug and I love you and there's like, oh, did I do that right? Maybe he's going to think I was weird when I did that, when I shook his hand and maybe he doesn't really like me and that happened. It just, we're so f- frail, futile. We're so imperfect. <laughs> does that moment can't even be pure 
It, it, it can't. It, as much as we want it to be. And in our, in, our, in our hearts, it, we want these moments to be pure, to hear the word of God preach. You want to, your ears to hear it and be pure. I want to preach the word and be pure in the spirit and not let any flesh push any agenda or motive out here. It, it just never pure, completely pure. But God's love for you, God's love in the wilderness, when he allures you, when he speaks kindly upon your heart, it's pure. Pure love. Purest love. Purest forgiveness. He doesn't hold anything back. He doesn't have a motive that he's like, what is the verse James says? Uh, he who lacks wisdom, ask God who gives generously and without reproach. The reproach means that God would, would, wouldn't give it to you because last time you blew it. God says, you seek my face, forgiveness. You seek my son, washed, cleansed, forgiven, loved, purely. Only God can do that. And so he says, will you come home? Will you come home and get next to his side? There's no awkwardness. Has he allured you today? Has he brought you into solitude today? Has he spoken upon your heart today? Then can I encourage you to come home? Come home to the Father through Jesus Christ, the Lamb that opened the veil of eternal life for all who believe. In Jesus' name, we ask that. Amen. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your affections toward us, God. We thank you for opening our eyes to see you and behold you. I pray, Lord, that we would see you, that you are alluring us, that you are speaking to us in solitude, one-on-one. You want us to discover ourselves and experience your presence, your forgiveness and mercy, your grace, your holiness. And God, help us, Lord, to bask in that grace, to enjoy it, to be glad in it, to find refuge in it, find shelter. Father God, if we have strayed in any way, one step, 10 feet, or 10,000 miles, God, in our heart, in any way, in any way, Lord, if we have strayed, if we allowed bitterness or anger or malice, if we've allowed jealousy, if we've allowed anything, God, to, to be our idol, to replace you, God, open our eyes to it. Lead us to acknowledgement and lead us to return to you. Lead us to find that place where we're washed and cleansed forever and welcomed in and accepted by you. Lord God, do a work in us right now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.